Oh, thank you very much, uh, Katrina um, uh, Labdian. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we are uh, Valentin de Boe and Joren Vuilsteken. We are lawyers with Loins and Loof. Uh, we are part of our international energy and infrastructure team. And in uh, that capacity, we uh, were working together with uh, Sorainen last year on the closing of the Kekava bypass uh, PPP. Uh, that was a very nice experience and um, we hope there will be many after that. Now, we uh, we are very happy that we've been asked to join this webinar this afternoon. Um, we are going to uh, talk to you about uh, a subject uh, that uh, is very um, or is an interesting aspect of lobbying and that is how can you use complaints to the European Commission um, as part of your lobby campaign. Now, if, um, what do we have on the menu for today? Um, well, we're going to start uh, with a short introduction on uh, what this could actually mean for you. We have some examples, uh, uh, some examples uh, that uh, how or situations where a complaint to the European Commission could be useful when you are lobbying your national government. Um, these are purely hypothetical examples, of course. Uh, there's no resemblance to any uh, real uh, life uh, situations. Uh, we're going to then um, show you a little bit of theory about uh, what is exactly the complaint process, what is the purpose of it, and what are, are the different steps. And then we're going to end with some uh, points of attention, some uh, things, do's and don'ts, when using this as a tool in your lobby campaign. Um, so how to make the EU or the European Commission your ally in your lobbying campaign? I think first of all, um, I think many of you are working in uh, companies that are part of regulated industries and you all know very well how political and regulatory risks affect the success of your business and therefore anticipating and managing these risks is really key for your businesses. Um, now, when you are, uh, that means of course that you will need to engage with uh, the political uh, sphere and, um, and authorities and um, when you are in a lobby campaign, um, you can always use or you can use uh, the involvement of the European Commission they can be a very powerful ally, but um, only, of course, if you understand well their role and uh, if you uh, take care or take care that this is done at the right time and at the right occasion. Uh, what you also need to be aware is that uh, lobbying is regulated uh, both at the EU level, but also in various member states. And I assume that uh, Latvia will be no exception to this. Lobbying is, of course, still seen by the public as something, uh, quote, dirty or something suspicious at least. Uh, that is definitely not the case, uh, but one of the important aspects of lobbying is that it must be done in a transparent way, of course. Um, that's why, why uh, there are these rules um, and there are significant legal and reputational risks if you get this wrong. Now, complaints to the European Commission, in our view, are generally a safe bet. Um, there are various reasons for it. Uh, there's a little formalism involved, uh, low costs. It's uh, basically a complaint form 
um, and uh, and some um, and, and 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 a good preparation. Uh, but it's a flexible procedure. There are uh, many opportunities to steer uh, the procedure in the right direction to uh, add elements or even to withdraw. And it can be done um, in parallel to your national actions. However, um, and my colleague Joren will go further or deeper into that, you, be, you need to be mindful of uh, timing because of course the European Union or the European Commission will only act um, if they feel that you have done or taken the right steps already at national level. And uh, very important uh, when using this as an instrument, you need to be aware that unless in uh, some specific cases, the European Commission is not forced to act upon a claim. Um, so I will then now hand over to my colleague Joren, who will um, uh, show you a couple of examples where uh, in, uh, complaints to the European Commission has been useful in the past. Thank you, Valentin. Uh, indeed, before we discuss the process of, of these complaints, it's good to have an idea of which type of examples that are taken. Uh, it could be uh, where it could be useful to consider a complaint before the uh, European Commission. And the first examples, if the slide will, yeah, it works. Um, the first example is, is uh, a situation where a sector federation receives complaints of undertakings within its sector. Uh, this example, the cleaning sector, um, about an obligation to notify authorities before performing its activities. Um, so if it concerns um, an administrative burden for those these undertakings, one could consider that the administrative burden could be disproportionate and in violation of EU law, and therefore it would be useful um, to uh, first interact with the national authorities and the national ministers or governments to um, ask to change the provision. I do not know, I do not uh, see my screen any longer, so I do not know if that's also the case at the other side. Yeah, I, I see it again. And um, so if national, if at national level, um, the, these contacts are uh, not uh, leading to any success or any changes, one could consider to file a complaint. And uh, another example is when um, there is uh, an obligation by the national law to uh, for uh, real estate developers to guarantee um, to, to to give some financial guarantees that are not obliged to give by others, and you could consider this as a discrimination. So in this specific example, real estate developers were obliged to guarantee the buyers of new buildings either the full completion of the building or they had to reimburse the amounts that were paid by the buyer. So the buyer was not anymore um, uh, obliged to buy the, the building in question, whereas others were not obliged. So registered contractors were not obliged to give those financial guarantees. Those are, this is a typical situation where you could consider after lobbying with national governments to consider a complaint with the Commission. Another example 
is a complaint of, uh, of a civil servant because it receives less remuneration or lower remuneration than its colleagues because it has another statute. Um, if this could also be in violation of EU law and therefore a complaint uh, could also be considered if national uh, on that national level uh, there is no result of, of any context you have with the uh, the authorities. And lastly, uh, another uh, example that is used or another sort of complaint that is often used uh, to move things is a state aid complaint. It's a specific form of complaint. In this example, uh, this is a real life example, which is a public example. Uh, it's a complaint of uh, an advertisement company because um, it's uh, found out that a certain concession agreement that uh, was performed out by its competitor was undergoing certain changes and it considered that these changes were unlawful because they were in favor of its competitor and so it uh, filed a complaint for state aid. Um, then going to the, the process uh, or maybe just uh, to highlight before going to the profit to highlight the different sorts of situations where complaints could be uh, uh, useful. It's not only when there is an obligation in, in national law, but also if there is a certain practice in national uh, at national level by the authorities. And not only um, if it's uh, an obligation, but also where there is a deprivation of benefits or where you consider that a benefit of another party um, is discriminatory for you. Um, going to the process of complaints, we should make um, a distinction between the general complaint for breach of EU law, which is kind of a, an all catch-all um, uh, complaint form, and the other types of specific complaints. The most known specific type of complaints are state aid complaints and antitrust complaints. And when we uh, briefly look into the process of a, a breach of EU law complaint, it's in fact any type of complaint for an infringement of EU law. So national law or national practice, which in your view could be in breach of EU law. Well, that could be uh, a situation where you uh, think about um, where you can complain and you submit a complaint. It must be the standard complaint form that is on the websites of the um, Commission. Um, and in that complaint, two important parts must be filled out. The first one is the explanation of why there is an infringement of EU law. And the second one, and that's very important, um, is the explanation of which previous actions you have taken. These can be court proceedings, but can also be other types of actions contacting the authorities in question notably. And going further, as um, yeah, these type of um, complaints, they are usually dealt with within a period of 12 months. It's not described by law, but it's an estimation. It's the commission that commits itself um, to um, to uh, make, the, make a decision about the complaint within 12 months, but that can again be extended. And, and uh, the, the final outcome will be either a dismissal of the complaint or a formal infringement proceeding. And um, another type of com uh, complaint form is a state aid complaint, which is uh, regulated uh, in, in the state aid regulation. 
and it exists. It also starts with a, a complaint form, which must be filled out, which is also a model form. And then a, a first uh, phase, a preliminary investigation, where the Commission considered whether there are any doubts, whether or not there is a incompatibility with state aid rules. And if it considers that it is the case, it will start an in-depth investigation and eventually it will take a decision on whether or not there is incompatible state aid. If there is, the outcome will be in, in general that there is a recovery decision whereby the Commission will ask the member states to recover the state aid measure. So the, the funds that has been given in uh, violation of EU state aid law. The timing of it all depends on the complexity of the case um, and the priority objectives of the Commission. So it's very hard to tell. Um, it can be that a certain case is uh, becomes complexer uh, during uh, the complaint. So um, there are no uh, deadlines mentioned in the law. And just um, for completeness, there is also the antitrust complaint form, which will be less used in, in um, lobbying with uh, national governments, uh, which comes also with a model complaint form. And um, there again, it's the Commission that uh, eventually decides whether or not there's a breach of antitrust law. Uh, again, here again, the, the, the timing will depend on the complexity and priorities. Then going um, back to the breach of complaint, just uh, for completeness, uh, important to mention that when eventually the Commission decides that there is indeed an infringement of EU law, it will start formal infringement proceedings. And this opens a dialogue between the Commission and the Member States. There is already a dialogue between both prior to a uh, formal infringement proceeding, but this one is a formal, it starts the formal dialogue whereby first a formal notice will be sent by the Commission requesting further information, then a formal request to comply with EU law and eventually if there is no, um, if the member state does not comply, do not, does not change the law or the practice, well then eventually the procedure before the EU courts will start. This, uh, the timing of each step takes at least two months but can again be extended. Uh, in that phase, in that formal stage of infringement proceedings, there is less room for lobbying because it's mainly the Commission and the Member States that have um, go back and forth. Um, so when you're the one, the, the person filing the complaint has less interaction in that phase. On the other hand, in the first part of the um, of the complaints before a formal decision is taken by the Commission and more specifically between the submission of complaint and the, the decision on whether or not there is a breach, well there is some room for uh, interaction with the European Commission and um, we made a small um, timeline with the most important points of interaction and the most important point for, for the process and it all starts of course with preparation of your case and that preparation not only entails the filling out of complaints, but of the complaint form, but the prior action uh, you have to be, uh, you, you have to take towards on, on a national level, because you will eventually have to show to the European Commission that you made efforts to change the practice, 
to resolve the issue of the EU law infringement before filing the complaint. If not, the Commission will consider uh, the complaint, may, might consider the complaint inadmissible because uh, it is an issue that first has to be addressed at national level. It's not necessary that you start court proceedings, but at least you have to show you have contacted the competent authorities. Secondly, and before submit, submitting the complaint, it's important to contact and identify which to contact the Commission to identify which unit or first which Director General is the most uh, competent or is the competent one to receive your complaint. And it is um, always advised to search the uh, specific unit or even the contact person that um, will deal with your uh, complaint before submitting your complaint. Um, then after submission of complaint, uh, there is a, an important step and um, which is which is consistent in informing others and it is important of course that you inform um, the, the the local authorities that you already contacted before about the fact that you have filed that complaint but also to inform others in a similar situation as you are or even the sector federation uh, to which you belong well, because that sector federation may also contact others in the same situation and um, incite others to also file a complaint. You could also consider before filing a complaint to first contact your sector federation and to ask the sector federation to act on your behalf or on behalf of several undertakings to file the complaint. And this is all because, in fact, uh, the Commission will give more priority or more weight um, uh, to your complaint if it is uh, not only a single complaint, but a complaint of several undertakings or a complaint of a sector federation. And after informing others, the process of a dialogue with the Commission uh, can start by first asking questions about the timing of proceedings, how long it will eventually take, but also asking them whether you can send additional information, whether they have all necessary information. And mostly there are there is not a lot of response, but it always depends on the unit in question, but the, the response is limited. And you can also think about sending updates, sending additional information to the Commission to keep them involved and to follow up regularly. Eventually, you could also ask for a, a meeting uh, in practice um, it does not happen a lot that you uh, are uh, invited to a meeting, at least not before there is a formal position of the Commission. So what happens in complaints is that, especially in complaints for uh, breach of EU law, is that the Commission will first take its formal position, but will not take the final decision yet. They will say, this is our position at the time being. Do you have any reaction to that? And at that time, it's the most crucial one in the entire timeline. It's important to react within the time frame given and to do so by, of course, giving your counter arguments if you do not agree with the position of the Commission, but also giving them additional information and requesting for a meeting. Having requested for a meeting before their position, before uh, receiving the, the formal position of the Commission, can um, maybe induce them to finally give you that meeting you asked for. Uh, for additional information, the same 
um, the, the comment is there. Yeah, try not to overload them with several emails. Try to do that in, in a proper manner, of course. And maybe leave some important information um, after um, with, leave it with you and once you have the formal uh, position of the commission and then send it to the commission so they can maybe elegantly change their view in light of additional information. It sometimes can be uh, a good thing to keep it just at the end in order to maybe force a uh, position. Uh, and then eventually it's the final decision um, of the of the commission. Uh, Valentin, you're on mute. I was just saying thank you for this uh, uh, overview. I think it's uh, indeed it's very important um, that when you are considering to involve the European Commission, um, that you think of how you can frame your requests uh, in uh, an EU law context. So you know that the EU is very concerned about uh, discrimination, about freedom of uh, of services and uh, freedom of establishment. So um, if you can formulate your problem as uh, some sort of barrier uh, to entry, uh, to invest or to, to, to uh, undertake business in Latvia, that will of course definitely be heard uh, by the Commission. So there's a number of uh, points of attention that we wanted to raise in terms of uh, lobby regulation. Um, so the process of lobbying is not doesn't happen in a legal vacuum. Um, there are rules uh, to take into account. There's of course there's staff rules uh, uh, that apply to um, uh, civil servants at the commission. So they must not, or they may not uh, accept uh, certain gifts, or they may not uh, be invited to certain lavish lunches or dinners. So that's of course important. But there's also another. Um, important element uh, that is becoming increasingly important, and that is the um, EU transparency register. So what is this? This is um, something that has been in existence for over 10 years. It's an online register um, in which uh, entities, companies, uh, interest representatives are invited uh, to register themselves when they want to interact with the EU institutions when they engage in lobbying. And the idea is that uh, the public that thinks that lobbying is suspicious can consult uh, that register and actually see or get more transparency on which entities are lobbying, what they are doing and how much they are spending on lobby campaigns. Now, um, in the first years uh, of its existence, it wasn't that successful. However, things changed uh, with the previous European Commission uh, because they imposed a number of new rules and these rules included the fact that the top EU or the top Commission officials um, could no longer meet with unregistered lobbyists or with unregistered entities. So whenever there was a meeting, uh, the, 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 the top or the, the commissioners themselves the the heads of uh, the or the directors general and the and the cabinets they had to check whether the people they were meeting with were actually registered in the transparency register and that also means that if you are not registered in the transparency register you lack access to the top of uh, the commission now um, what is considered lobbying 
by uh, the transparency register. Well, it's any activities carried out by interest representatives with the objective of influencing EU policy or EU decision making. It's a very wide definition. However, and that's important for um, the purposes of this presentation, there is a, an exception for submissions as a party or as a third party in the framework of a legal or administrative procedure established by EU law. Now, the complaint procedure that we have been talking about is definitely one of these um, legal or administrative procedures. And when you're acting within the framework of that procedure, um, you can rely on this exception. However, um, in order to make a successful campaign, it is very useful to be able to contact the Commission already prior to submitting that uh, complaint. So therefore, it is still interesting, important uh, to register as a, a lobbyist or to uh, work together with uh, entities that are registered. Um, what does this entail? Um, interest representatives who are registered must disclose certain information uh, about their uh, lobbying activities, about what they are exact, the topics they are lobbying on, the, the sort of resources they uh, use for lobbying, as in uh, the amount of people they have uh, involved in these activities, and also the amount of money they spend uh, on, uh, on lobbying. Um, and um, uh, important also is that registration with the EU transparency register is voluntary, but because of the uh, increasing importance, it's becoming more and more difficult to make yourself heard in Brussels if you are not registered. Um, even if uh, a lower uh, a person at a lower level in the Commission uh, is not considered uh, to be a top official that must only meet with registered lobbyists, that person is still um, or it's it, in the staff rules, it's recommended that that person checks whether somebody is registered that he is meeting or she is meeting and um, uh, he or she must then for himself decide whether it's appropriate to continue the uh, conversation. Um, if you are interested in this topic, um, there's a link in the slide. Uh, Joren and I have written a chapter on uh, do's and don'ts and how the lobby register at the EU level uh, works exactly. So uh, definitely go to that website. I know that uh, there are discussions in Latvia also on how to um, increase transparency in lobbying. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's also useful to see where these discussions could be going. Um, but that was it for um, what we wanted to say about uh, EC complaints. Uh, we would be very happy to take any questions that you may have. And uh, in any event, we're very grateful for uh, Sorainen to have invited us to uh, give this uh, presentation. So, uh, Paul Diaz.